Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got bowl games to discuss today. The postseason is here, and we are going to start turning our gaze towards who can help themselves most here in some of these guys' last chance to take the field as collegiate athletes. We're going to start things off this week with Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell and I go through matchups to watch over this weekend in college football. We've got another mock draft to break down, and we're going to go under the hood at offensive guard, review some of the traits that we value most at that position. After that, Mr. Relevant, my friend Jeff Schwartz joins the show. It's going to be a really fun conversation about some of the top prospects out West in the PAC 12 love talking with prospect or talking about prospects with Jeff. So we'll hit on him uh, with Mr. Relevant. After that, we wrap things up. Ross Tucker and I in pick six, look ahead to the big bowl games that start this Friday, which ones will we make our picks on and how close are we in our season long competition? We will find out at the end of this episode. Before we get to the start of the show, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple Podcast page and do us that great favor of leaving us a a rating, leave us a comment, whether it's a mock draft, a question about a specific player, or a comment about how much you enjoy the show. All of those things are a huge boost for us and make the show more likely to be seen by other fans of the NFL Draft. And look, it's the week of Christmas, it's a holiday season, Think of it as a little gift that you can give to us here uh, at Eagles Entertainment. If you enjoy the podcast, really appreciate everybody that can go and leave us a comment because it really does help us in the long run. So whether it's an Apple podcast, Stitcher, really wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get this show going. Let's jump into this week's action here with some of these big bowl games. We'll start things off with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's talk about some of these big games that we've got uh, coming over the next few days here with Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, welcome back. We're going to talk about some of these bowl games here over the next few days. And basically, I wanted to talk about the games that start Christmas Day, Friday, up through Tuesday. And that's uh, the big one is uh, Oklahoma State and Miami. So looking at that slate of games, are there players that you feel have something to prove as they put the, the ribbon on this 2020 season? We'll kind of go back and forth here with a couple of players. I do. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, I have three quarterbacks that uh, really are front and center right down the SEC. Felipe Franks, veteran quarterback, grad transfer over to Arkansas from the University of Florida. It didn't look pretty last week or two weeks ago against Alabama. Lost 52 to three in his last game, only 90 yards passing. Gets a matchup against Gary Patterson's TCU defense, which is a pretty unique secondary. Just like to see him end his college career on a positive note. Franks did say he is going to play in order to kind of rebound from that Alabama loss. So this guy doesn't necessarily have anything to prove on my end, but Oklahoma State wide receiver Tyler Wallace will play uh, against Miami on Tuesday. And look, Wallace is is a guy that is one of my favorite senior receivers. I think he's kind of a lowercase CD lamb in terms of what he brings. Uh, He's got outstanding hands. He's, uh, I would say, a similar kind of route runner that Lamb was coming out of Oklahoma last year. And he is tough and competitive, just like Lamb was. So uh, coming off the injury, the ACL from a year ago, excited to see him, you know, uh, just kind of put, again, an exclamation point on his career. Excited to see him against this Miami secondary. I'll be picking that game with Ross a little bit later in the show. Who's A lot of speed out there in Miami. South, yeah, South Florida speed is always a little bit different than the rest of the country. That's so right. maybe he sees a little press man that he didn't see a whole lot in the Big 12. I hope so. Against, against some speedy corners. But two other quarterbacks, Desmond Ritter, junior quarterback, Cincinnati, really interesting QB prospect. I think he has a really good 
uh, size, 6'4", 215, mobility, strong arm. He checks a lot of boxes, played at Cincinnati, has won a lot of games. He gets to go up against Georgia, which is, you know, some elite press corners that he probably hasn't seen uh, out there in the American Conference in the past couple of years. So I think he could really kind of improve his stock. And uh, that could be a big litmus test game for him and his decision uh, on the NFL. And the last one, a little bit different, senior quarterback Brock Purdy going up against Oregon. Very talented Oregon secondary there. Just want to see if, uh, you know, Purdy can maybe uh, give a couple extra, uh, you know, uh, eye-popping throws for NFL scouts to think about as his season has been kind of up and down. And a lot of people are, uh, you know, trying to determine, is he a day two safe backup quarterback? Is he a day three player? Or is this not really a guy that has a skill set for the NFL? I think against this Oregon defense with a lot of talent, he could uh, kind of end his college career on a high note. Yeah, that Oregon defense we'll be talking about actually in the next segment uh, with Jeff Schwartz. Uh, my last guy, I'm going to go with D'Angelo Malone this week, uh, you know, this weekend against Georgia State. He's had six sacks this year, which is fine. Uh, it's a solid number. Four of them came in two games. So you'd really like to see uh, just him, you know, finish the season strong. We'll see if uh, he can come off the edge and make an impact against Georgia State. So uh, a handful of games. We'll have a bunch more that we'll preview uh, next week here on the show as well. Um, let's get to our mock draft roundup, though, where every single week we pick a mock draft. We take a look at not only who the Eagles are selecting, but who else is kind of, you know, what are the other picks that stand out to us? And this week, we're going to go to Jordan Reed's mock draft. I think it's his fourth mock draft over at the Draft Network. Uh, ben, I'll let you kick things off here for us. What was a, a pick that stood out to you from Jordan's mock draft? A bit of a shakeup with the interior defensive tackle class, which we've been talking for the past two months, is still very uh, unsettled. Christian Barmore, Jordan Davis seem to have been at the top of the class. Not anymore. New defensive tackle one is Davion Nixon from Jordan Reed out of the University of Iowa, going 17th overall to the Las Vegas Raiders. Christian Barrymore going 31st overall to the Green Bay Packers, deciding to not go with a skilled player for Aaron Rodgers once again in the first round. But those are the only two interior defensive tackle classes. Interesting to see Nixon flying up there to the mid-first round, having a huge season uh, as a guy that's proven he get after the quarterback, good run defender, short area burst. I think that's the way it's trending i'm not sure if we're gonna have any of these interior defensive tackles end up in round one but uh nixon and barmore certainly are the cream of the crop yeah i think that's that defensive tackle group as we've talked about over the last few weeks so it will be interesting to see if any of them end up in the first 32 picks i I think look the first round is going to be dictated by especially the top half where these quarterbacks go how many of them go in the top five top six and where they ultimately end up so uh that's something i'm always looking at when the these new mock drafts come out and Jordan had uh, Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, uh, go number four to the Carolina Panthers. He still had Justin Fields going number two to the New York Jets. Trevor Lawrence going number one to, yes, the Jacksonville Jaguars after this past weekend in the NFL. Those two teams uh, did swap. So Trevor Lawrence won, Justin Fields two, Zach Wilson at number four. Uh, I would love, number one, I would love Zach Wilson down, not just in that offensive scheme, but I think that's a great fit uh, for Matt Rule in Carolina. But uh, I think that that would be a, a really fun pairing. But again, to me, it's about the overall picture of the quarterbacks. Where are they slotted? How high are they going? Uh, just seeing Wilson go number four uh, was interesting. He uh, got a lot of buzz last night. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon, Ben. Uh, Tuesday night, Zach Wilson put on a show. He had five touchdowns last night. Uh, big performance there for the for the junior, potentially his last game. He has not oh, made it We'll see yet. if he wants to go back out to the Carolinas because the last time it didn't go so hot with That's that right. loss to yeah. Coastal Carolina. But uh, another uh, couple of interesting picks, Zayvon Collins, 21st overall to Miami. I think we had the same pick, seemingly a Brian Flores 
Bill Belichick hybrid player, whether he's, you know, uh, Dante Highsmith or Kyle Van Noyes or Jamie Collins, defensive end, outside linebacker. At the end of the day, you could just imagine him with a Belichick or a Brian Flores type of defense. We both love that fit. And then this offensive line group, I'll set you up here before your pick, seven tackles, one hybrid in Vera Tucker and an an interior offensive lineman. So that's nine offensive linemen in the first round, very heavy tackle group. I think that's the way it's trending. And if you're in doubt in the first round on, do we go with the receiver? Do we go with this edge rusher? Do we go with this, you know, maybe corner we had a, uh, you know, a late one on when in doubt, go to the trenches because there's some really good offensive linemen and there's some, serious need for offensive linemen across the NFL. And I would challenge anyone last couple of weeks, just go look around the NFL rosters. Who's been playing offensive line. They are patching together groups on a weekly basis. And this uh, NFL certainly needs a, uh, a high influx of offensive line talent. And we say it all the time. And that's when you look at first rounds of of NFL drafts over the last few years, there are a ton of tackles that go in the first round every single year. I mean, last year it was six, the year before it was five. You know, there was three, two, four. It's always in that four, five, six range. And over the last 10 years, the average has been seven in the first round. So that's over the last decade. I know it all always be that high, but I would keep an eye, keep an eye out on the idea that there will be a lot of more offensive tackles going than I think most mock drafts. Obviously, Jordan, uh, you know, he had that many tackles going. Are those safer picks? Is it just easier yeah. to translate, easier to plug and play? If you're looking for production, which is on-field play, you want to get – you know, on field time from your first round draft capital, typically offensive linemen can get right out there, uh, you know, aside from, uh, you know, an injury and shelving them like a Jonah Williams or maybe some off the field stuff like an Isaiah Wilson, not ready to play. But traditionally, you look at the last 10 years, Fran, tackles in the first round, typically ready to play and giving you a decent ball right out of the gate. Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like that it used to be seen that offensive line was the easy pick. And I, th- I feel like, and this is just purely anecdotal on my part, I have not done any kind of research into this. I feel like we have seen a little bit more bust factor with those guys in the last, you know, they will say five to 10 years, but it's the idea of being able to get a plug in, a, a 10 year starter. That's where you're uh, well, Look, I can get multiple contracts out of this guy playing at a high level and an important position. You're going to, you're going to take those guys higher than you would think. And uh, that brings me to that player, as you said, Christian Darshaw from Virginia tech. I know you've been a big, big fan of Darshaw. Dane Brugler has been a big fan. Uh, he's got him going number nine to the LA chargers. Um, you know, so certainly uh, high value there on Christian Darshaw, that pure people mover up front <laughs> for the whole. Hey, we need to keep Justin Herbert upright. We need to do, him right he's got enough weapons around him now let's invest in that o-line uh, for the Eagles fans listening, they, uh, Jordan had Devontae Smith, uh, the wide receiver from Alabama, uh, going to the Eagles at number seven overall. Uh, seems to be a very popular pick uh, in a lot of mock drafts right now, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that four, five, six, seven territory of the draft is going to be very interesting uh, based on who's going to come up for quarterbacks, who maybe wants to trade up for their guy. And I think the Eagles are obviously going to have that phone wide open to hear all types of offers. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, uh, trade down in round one and load up with two first round picks and maybe even add another day two pick. I think that middle of the top 10 is an interesting uh, kind of fluid area to accept trades. I, I agree. Yeah, especially when you have those quarterbacks uh, that always that sweetens. The always get bumped up. And if you don't have one, you better go get one. Yep, no question. Uh, let's go under the hood here. And, and this week for our position, we are going to pick offensive guard. We've done offensive tackle. I think we've even done swing tackle. We did center a few weeks ago. Let's talk about guards and the uh, the three factors that most matter to us when evaluating. And I'll kick things off for us here. 
to me, and this is a position that, or this is a trait that we talk about pretty much across the board, certainly with offensive linemen, certainly with interior offensive linemen, that's that toughness factor, that competitiveness factor. If you don't have that edge to you as an interior offensive lineman, uh, I, I don't know what to make of you because, uh, even like if you don't have it at tackle, I feel like some of your other traits may be able to overcome that. Right. I, I feel like, Hey, if you, if you just, if you're a dancing bear, but maybe don't have that, that edge, uh, we talked about that with Laramie Tunsil, right. I'll forgive that a little bit because you know, you've got those other traits. I don't know if I can forgive that at garden center, right? I feel like when you're playing inside, you're going up against nose tackles, you're going up against 300 pound three techniques. I need you to have that edge. Yeah. You need to have that certain toughness. So uh, certainly for a, for an offensive guard, that's going to be the number one thing I'm, I'm looking for, for sure. Yeah. The one thing that obviously we want this across all positions, but yeah. I need my interior offensive lineman to be technically sound. Mm. And I feel like a lot of these big guys can survive with just pure physical ability. They are massive people. They are strong people just based off of human nature and size and force. But the ones that are technically sound are the ones that are effective. So, you know, that's the ability to get off the ball, play with hand usage, play with good uh, posture, keep your head out of stuff, you know, not lunging, you know, all that, you know, technique based stuff in combination with obviously being 320 pounds and what we need, you know, profile wise at the guard position. But I think there's a lot of sloppy play because some of these guys just try to survive with being big and we see it all the time. And it's not enough just to have the size. You got to be technically sound in combination. So uh, while we always want all players to be technically sound, I think those interior big guys are always an interesting study. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, absolutely a valid point on your part. And one thing that we always talk about, uh, especially when it comes to the big guys, when it talks to when we talk about trench play, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, the difference between strength and power. And strength, being able to hold your ground when somebody's trying to move you against your will, power, the ability to move others against your will. So we're talking basically run game, pass game. To me, for an offensive guard, that anchor strength is so, so important. And I'm going to make that as my second one because uh, especially if you're, you know, if you're a quarterback, there is nothing that you want less than pressure up the middle, that pocket to be collapsing in front of you. So I need that anchor to be or to be able to hold the uh, uh, the fort up front. Make sure you maintain that stability, the top of the pocket, allow that quarterback some softness to be able to step up into. If you don't have that anchor as an offensive guard, if you get pushed back time and time again, even if you do set that anchor on your third or fourth step, that's too much. I need I need a guy to be able to you know really what I I call a two step anchor by that second step at worst third step be able to just stop you know stop a bull rusher cold and be able to hold up the the integrity of the pocket. You know that's a great one there. So you know that's obviously in retreat and pass protection. Let's go the other direction going forward. And I had a trait here, and it was leg drive, people movement, power, strength, but. Can you be an elite guard without being a people mover? And I think with a lot of these new zone schemes, particularly outside zone, a lot of lateral movement, trying to stretch the defense horizontally as opposed to displacing them vertically, you can be an elite guard without being a people mover. So I had leg drive on here and I took it off because I don't know if that represents every guard. And we're obviously doing an expose on all schemes here about the position. So my next trait is quickness. And whether it's in a zone scheme or the power scheme, that first step, that ability to get off the ball sets you up to execute the play. And if you can't get off the ball, you can't put yourself in position in that first step, first step and a half, 
you're going to lose no matter how talented you are, no matter how powerful you are, how big you are. And it's not quickness like release packages and corners and edge rushers. It's a different type of quickness. It happens fast. And you have to put yourself in position to execute the assignment on the play. And typically, it's a split second, split second type of quickness uh, that separates the difference. I, I love that. And, and I, dude, it's funny you say that because I went back and forth. And I ended up going the other way because I was like, all right, like well, in terms of what I personally prioritize, I do want that vertical displacement from the guard. Even if it is a zone scheme, like I think to me, like the best zone schemes are the ones that are able to push those double teams, get those guys up to the second level, uh, you know, get the D tackles in the linebackers. We talk up. about that softness all the time for all running time. backs. Yep. Yeah. And so to me, like I'm looking at it, I, I ended up at first, I put that athleticism, that quickness, that play speed, and then I ended up going back to, to, uh, to that power. I, I want to see guys that can move people off the ball. Um, you know, and I, and it's funny because I want, I want the full gamut. I want the full combination. Um, you know, but I, I, to me, like that vertical displacement, uh, that mm. ability to move people, uh, that's, that's ultimately what I'm looking for. So that is my third trait. Yeah. Tough to go wrong there. Tough to go wrong. And the next one is just general as well. Toughness, but the way they're tough and competitive in the trenches is just different friend. And I need you to be able to fight through some injuries some wear and tear. You're going to get punched in the nose and have to still fight back. And you're going to get pulled and grabbed and, you know, your foot stepped on and you might get a finger broken. We got to play through all that stuff. And the guys that are mentally tough usually become the physical tough ones. Um, And obviously we want everybody to be tough, but offensive linemen particularly, I need you to be tough, tough in the huddle, tough down to down between the whistles after the play during the week, in the weight room, in the training room. Like it's, it's a lifestyle to be tough and it's an attitude. And I love like the Jarvis Landry at Hard Knocks a couple of years ago. It's contagious. And it really is when you get guys in the offensive line room that are soft or aren't tough or don't practice or on the medical table too often. And, you know, it is a contagious thing. And I love the guys that play through it and set that tone for availability and just being a professional. So my next question is, as always, what is it that separates the good from the great? And I think when I look at offensive guards, because a lot of people say, oh, you know, like guards, are, how important is our guards? To me, like the great ones are the guys that are capable of being the best offensive linemen on their team. You know, you look at Zach Martin, you look at Brandon Brooks, you look at uh, Marshall Yanda when he was at Baltimore, right? I mean, the guys that are capable of being the best linemen, you know, I think of Will Shields in Kansas City for all those years, right? Yeah, Brandon Scherf now and Quentin yeah, Nelson. Yep. Yeah, Quentin Nelson. Thank you. Who are the guys the, the, you know, that are the best at their are all, all, you know, the best linemen on their own respective teams in your mind? Oh, what is it the trait? What is the trait that separates those guys uh, from the rest? Yeah, there's a couple things here. I had a trouble picking one, but I want my guys to be scheme versatile. So the ones that can play in the zone scheme and the power scheme, we talked about, you know, the lateral quickness and the horizontal movement and the vertical displacement. At the end of the day, you could be a zone team, but you're still going to have some short yardage where you have to get, you know, people moved off the ball. I love the guys that can play multiple positions, left side, right side, slide into center, go play tackle in the drop of a hat like Quentin Nelson did two weeks ago for Anthony Costanzo. So valuable. And then, you know, in today's nature of football, you got to be able to play in space, whether it's the screen game, your ability to pull. And there's so many different pulls, long pulls, short pulls, folds, traps. Can you redirect on the move, turn back protections on play action? And then that just gives your offensive uh, design that much more flexibility because you need creative when you have athletic offensive linemen. 
Um, we obviously want everyone to be tough and technically sound and athletic. It's not breaking any news, but particularly the guard position, the more things you can do, the, the deeper the playbook and the designs can be, you know, and it just gives your, uh, your play calling and designs flexibility. You know, I remember a few weeks ago we did defensive tackles and we did, I think we did three techniques and we were like, all right, what are the, what are the traits that separate the elite three techniques from the, from the goods? And I think it's similar here in this discussion because, you know, we talk about quickness and power and strength and technique and competitiveness. To me, those guys I talked about, the, you know, the, the Quentin Nelsons, the Brandon Scherfs, the Zach Martins, they're the guys that check all the boxes. And you mentioned the first thing that you said was scheme versatility. And to your earlier point that while we're talking about this big picture and not for a specific scheme, I think that versatility, that ability to check all the boxes is what allows those elite players to be elite is that they can beat you no matter what kind of fight you want to have. Hey, I'm going to win. If you want to get out in space, great. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to beat you out in space. You want to play in a phone booth and see and think you can anchor down against me. No, I'm moving you off your spot. It's like the different types of fights in the UFC. You got the wrestlers, you got the boxers, you got the, the straight maulers the ones that can play and fight the different styles. Yeah. To me, it's, a, it's the same kind of discussion. Uh, you know, and really you could say this about a lot of different positions, the guys that are able to win in all the different ways, they're the real aliens of the group, right? They're the guys that just are, are different. Those are the, the guys we're talking about as the elites of the elite uh, at the offensive guard. So it might be a little bit of a cop out, but I think the guy that checks out uh, checks off as many of those boxes as possible, which means you do need to be an athlete. Uh, you know, and I, it can't just be uh, you know the big slug in there. You've got to be able to move. You've got to be able to move people. You've got to be able to stop your own movement. Uh, I think that's what uh, really kind of brings out the best of the best. All right. So who are the guys in this class that you feel best fit the mold in your mind? Yeah, there's a couple for a bunch of different reasons. I love Landon Dickerson, who started a game at every offensive line spot. Love his versatility and toughness. Deontay Brown, the best people mover in the class. He was my pick to uh, run behind in short yardage a couple weeks ago in our on-the-clock segment. Wyatt Davis, Ohio State, might be the best you know, well-rounded uh, guard in the class, playing a lot of good football at right guard for Ohio State. They'll be in the playoff against Clemson. Big game for him. As I didn't think he played great last year in that Clemson game in the playoffs, so I want to see him uh, bounce back. And a couple of the versatile guys. Darian Kennard is massive right tackle for Kentucky. I think he could slide into guard and, you know, pick it up at day one. Vera Tucker, Elijah Vera Tucker at USC playing left tackle, has played a lot of time at guard as well. A lot of people envisioning him to guard. Two guys, scheme, you know, versatile, and I think uh, positionally versatile as well that, you know, I think the NFL is just looking for guys to, you know, plug and play across that offensive line. So I've got three names, and I think that there are two guys that I'm looking at as I would feel maybe are a step below the elite elite because I don't know if they have that versatility that we're talking about, right? So I would say Trey Smith at Tennessee. We know that he's a, I mean, he's a people mover, right? He can he can push people off their spot. He is one of the nastiest linemen in this class. I don't know if he quite has that level of athleticism that we would say that puts him in that uh, that you know that upper upper echelon, but. Uh, he certainly can get up to the second level. And so I think that he's uh, enough there that he could be one of the very, very best. Just, I don't know if he's like the elite top shelf. Hmm. Then I would go the opposite side. And I look at like a Zion Johnson out of Boston college, right? He is a great athlete. I just don't know if he's got enough sand in the pants to like say like, all right, he can, you know, consistently take on a bull rush. He can consistently move people. I don't know that there's quite enough there. So different ends of the spectrum in terms of skill set, but I think quality talents and they'll be, you know, scheme dependent. The guy that I think might have the highest upside at guard in this class 
is a guy who's been playing tackle for the, at least the last two years. I have to go back, but I know he's played a little bit of guard. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. And you know, I know you and I have talked about him. Uh, I know Dane is a big fan of him. Dude, I'll tell you what. I was watching Tevin Jenkins last Friday, last Thursday. He reminds me of Zach Martin. Like, this is Zach Martin at, at Notre Dame. Like, Zach Martin was a tackle at Notre Dame. Um, and you saw a lot of the things. And again, you're just, like, checking boxes. I'm looking at Tevin Jenkins. He has got vice grip hands. He hates not finishing people. Like, he is always looking to clean up piles. He's athletic and get out in space. He's used as a puller. You see the strength to be able to take on bull rushers. Even though it's Big 12 bull rushers, still bull rushers. Uh, to me, I, I look at everything, and I'm like, uh, you're just checking a lot of boxes. So, I look at Tevin Jenkins. He might have the highest upside at guard in this class. I was trying to think of uh, Oklahoma State offensive linemen in the league. I'm not sure they've produced a whole lot. I know uh, Tevin Jenkins getting a lot of love right now. Josh Stills, the guard, coming over from West Virginia, has been getting a lot of love. They might be able to put two guys uh, comfortably in the NFL in this draft class. Russell Okun, that's the big one. I knew that. Uh, okay, it's been it's been a while though. It's been a while. All right, so Russell Okun was the big one. I was I was trying to think uh, of who that could be. So uh, yeah, I, I dude, I think Tevin Jenkins really really good. Well, Ben, uh, this has been fun, man. We'll be back uh, early next week. Me, you, Dane, after the holiday. Uh, enjoy uh, the holiday season at the, the end of this week, and we'll talk to you next week. It's time for Mister Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, my friend Jeff Schwartz. You can find him on the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast, as well as on SiriusXM, ESPN Radio, Oregon grad, specializes in covering the Pac-12. Jeff, welcome back, man. Glad to be here. And it's it's odd because the Pac-12 just started and then just ended. We, we, are, we just started and now we're over. So uh, and we only have two bowl games because uh, most of the conference opted out of bowl games. So, um, yeah, ready to talk about the, the weird and awkward Pac-12 season. And because it was a weird and awkward season, there were a lot of opt-outs. And the big one, obviously, is Penny Sewell, the left tackle from Oregon, a presumed top five pick in this upcoming NFL draft. So I thought I'd kind of kick things off with that. We we had a lot of listeners when you came on in the summer, but I know we've gained a lot since that point as teams all around the NFL are starting to check out and look towards the NFL draft. Give us a quick refresher uh, as a former Oregon Duck or a current Oregon Duck. Give us the refresher here on Penny Sewell. What can uh, we expect from him in the NFL? So Panay is um, unlimited potential from Panay. So he won the Allen Trophy last season, 19 years old, 19 years old. So when you watch him play, you can see the athleticism, the physicality, the drive to finish, the explosiveness, all those things, knowing that he still is going to mature into his body. He's going to come in the NFL as a 21-year-old, a 21-year-old into the NFL um, and he's gonna have so much room for growth. So I think you're even looking at the upside as more of a th- of a of a reason to be happy and excited to draft him than his film. His film was good. There's some things he's got to work on. I think finishing the second level is one of them. He kind of goes for kill shots too much. The one thing that I wanted to see this year, I, I would wish he came back for this one reason was if you watched now last season. So you watched the Auburn game, the Utah game, the Wisconsin game, the three most important games for him last season. I believe I counted 11 pure drop back pass protection reps, which in the NFL, you have 25 a game. And so I want to see him do more of that this season. I think that's a problem. If you watch him the first couple of reps a game, he's just not used to doing it very much. And he kind of gets beat, but then he settles himself back down when he gets in a rhythm of doing it again. So again, really young, really excited. I think if you take, put him in the, with the right coach, the right strength program, he is, um, 
it's me off the charts. I'm just curious whether or not he dropped this year to Rashawn Slater uh, from Northwestern because he left. I think if he had come back, he would have been a, a hands down uh, first off the tackle off the board. I think Rashawn Slater from uh, Northwestern has that Chase Young tape. They play really well against Chase Young, right. and so I do wonder if, if coming back just hurt Panay ever so slightly. Interesting. And there, I mean, there are so many guys that uh, decided that they were not going to go back for the 2020 season. You mentioned uh, uh, Rishon Slater from Northwestern. Another guy would be another player from the Pac-12, yeah. Stanford's Walker Little. And this is a guy that only played in one game last year, ironically, against Northwestern. And, you know, we, we saw his true freshman film in 2018, but we really haven't seen anything since. So I'm interested to kind of get your f- feelings on Walker Little, how you see him projecting to the NFL as well. I have no idea. He hasn't played in two years. I mean, like, look, I don't like, he, you know what I mean? Like, like Panay won the outland last year. I have a general concept of what he is. Walker Little hasn't played in two. I don't know why he came, he didn't come back. Yeah. I, it just makes no sense to me. Um, you're basically drafting him because he fits the mold of an offensive lineman. I, when you, when you meet him and I remember you were at masterminds two years ago, he was yep. there. Yep. Um, I mean, he's as everything you'd want I me mean, six, seven ish. Right. I mean, he was, what, 295, 300, could easily add 30 pounds to his frame. But we haven't, he hasn't played in two years. I, I don't know how he goes in the top, what, three rounds? I mean, top three-round draft pick, you have to play in year one typically now. If an offensive lineman, most guys don't just sit. How do you draft him and play right now? You don't know what you're getting from him. I, I think going back was a um, – not going back was a was a bad decision by him. Yeah, and it's interesting because I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to say this affirmatively, I'm pretty sure that he graduated. So in theory, he would be eligible for the senior ball. And I don't know if that's something that was on the table for him, but certainly an opportunity there uh, to say like, hey, you know, you haven't seen me in two years, but uh, here I am in Mobile for a week. Um, <laughs> something to keep an eye on there for sure in the next couple of weeks. It would uh, be smart of him, to, but it'd be, yeah. it'd be weird to him just like to come out of nowhere and just start playing after two years. But he needs, if he played well, in that game, it would obviously do a lot for his draft stock. Yeah, no question. Well, one guy that has certainly helped himself, uh, it's it, seemingly anyway, another Pac-12 offensive tackle this year. That's USC's Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, previously an offensive guard, made the move out to tackle this year. How do you see him projecting to the league? I have not done Vera Tucker yet, but I know there are a lot of people that are very, very high on him. Dude, he is really good. He is really good. If you watch USC's film, don't watch the other four. Just watch him. He He's a baller. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I got to go back and watch um, him play against Kayvon Thibodeau in Oregon, the defensive end, because um, the USC's offense line struggle. I don't remember Elijah struggling as much as the right tackle. I want to go back and watch. But, man, he is really good. He has a very smooth pass set. He ties up his hands really well with his stays. Never really off balance. A really good job of anchoring, kind of closing those elbows in, you know, uh, moving his hips just enough to kind of uh, clench down. In the run game, he works to finish. He's in a good position. I, what I notice with him the most is just he's in good body position all the time. It didn't seem very off balance, out of whack, out of balance, very controlled movements. Um, and he stands out on film, right? Like you, you watch and you're like, oh, that's a – you can just see like, oh, that's a left tackle. Now he might play guard in the NFL. He might go inside. Um, and and I wouldn't I I I think we overvalue the arm length discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a guy that's gonna fall into the shorter arm discussion and maybe moves in the guard. Joe Thomas had the best thing ever for measuring arm length, by the way. I, I'm gonna steal this from him. You know, the combine you measure from the, the 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 shoulder all the way down to the fingertips. But Joe Thomas said that we punch with our hands up, right? And it's, we should measure from the base of basically the mm. bottom of our hand all the way to the shoulder. Like exclude the hand exclude from the, the measurement, hand, yeah. right? Because that doesn't matter. If you're punching like this, what does it matter how long your how big your hand is? Right. 
Huh. That's a, that's a pretty good point. I wonder if, uh, if there are teams that, cause I know everybody <laughs> takes that raw data and all the 32 teams are going to use that raw data a little bit differently. I'm sure there are teams out there that kind of incorporate, uh, Hey, this is what the arm length is excluding what the hand size is. Uh, that's kind of an interesting tidbit there. I like that. Um, so you, we started this conversation off, you mentioning like a very awkward Pac-12 year, right? A very late start. We got the finish just, you know, just this past week because of that, We've had all the opt-outs, no Penny Sewell, uh, no Walker Little, no J2 Fele from USC. Yeah. Washington lost a bunch of uh, defensive linemen. Uh, Oregon lost some DBs. Uh, Paulson Adebo from, from uh, Stanford. Yeah. I can go on and on. A lot of attention or a lot of attrition, I should say, uh, with all the uncertainty. That being said, for the guys who did play this year, who in your mind is the best prospect that played football this fall that we should be excited about moving into 2021 in the NFL draft? Yeah, it's it's a, I th- I think this league had maybe the most players of like pro caliber opt out. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a, the amazing amount of talent just decided to not play this year. And I get it. I get why they didn't play. Um and next year and we'll come on I'm sure next year. Next year we have like f- four first round picks in this conference. Yeah. We were a good conference. But the the number one player who helped himself out was uh, was ZTF uh, from Washington Zion to Polo uh, Fatui? I think that's. I'm, I'm sorry if I butchered that up, but ZTF outside linebacker for Washington, um, uh, close to close to ten sacks in in a six game season. Mm. Uh, excuse me, five game season. Actually, they played four games, so it was more. I think it was like eight sacks. It was like eight <laughs> sacks in four games. Right. Averaging, it was averaging three sacks a game. I think through two games and kind of slowed down a little bit. Dude, he is good. I mean, he he was. Uh, go watch a Utah game. He was beating double teams, just physically dominated, just powerful bull rushes, just never motor, never stopped moving. And so he's a junior and he doesn't have to leave. Obviously we know that, that they're giving everyone a year back this year, but ZTF, if I were him, I'd go. We saw that uh, Hamilcar Rashid, defensive end from Oregon State, was really good last year. Double-digit sacks, and he came back. and I don't, I'm not sure he's had more than a sack or two. Uh, so I would, I'd go right now if I were him. I'd, I'd be done um, on his team as well. Elijah Molden, uh, defensive back. Everyone knows about him. It's not like we don't know about Elijah Molden. Sure. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys that I think. Um, you know, it, best is probably the best is probably ztf this year mm. um other guys abe lucas the washington state offensive tackle had a really good season but i worry about tackles in that offense you guys in philly know well what happens with tackles sometimes in that in that offense which i abe abe lucas is built differently than andre dillard he's just kind of bigger and stouter um so abe lucas a guy from washington state is the offensive line that um i think has an opportunity to to be a decent draft pick in, in the Pac-12. So I love bringing people onto the show that follow a specific conference closely and they're watching all the teams all around the league and say, who's a guy that you know, you've know you seen out there that you feel should be talked about more on a national scale when it comes to projecting to the NFL? Is there a guy that kind of fits that for you? Um, well, look, running backs, I, I think, are really tough to, to predict because the, their value is definitely down right now. Um, but I, I really think... The guy like Demetric Felton, the the uh, running back from UCLA, he's exactly what you want in a modern running back. He catches the ball in the backfield, um, and he just does everything you'd want in in a running back. He's a guy that I would look at. Uh, Koi Dang, the linebacker from Cal. I don't know if he I don't know if he leaves or not, but he's six six as a linebacker. He's a he's a box linebacker at six six. That's pretty incredible. He can run as well. So. 
he's a guy that I'm interested to see how his stock, or if he does, you know, decide to come out this year. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, the Oregon State running back, really good, obviously. Um, I I think you know, Tyler Vaughn at USC and Amon Ross St. Brown, the two wide receivers, are are really good. Here's the one guy. I just I was looking at my list right here. Here's the one guy. I'm telling you who it is. It's Brant Keithy, the tight end from Utah. This kid is going to be an amazing pro in the NFL. Mm-hmm. No one watches him play because they're Utah. Um, he they run end arounds with him. And he gets big gains. And like he is a really, he's a modern tight end. He's not going to block for you. He's not going to block. Um, but if you want to put him on, a, on an island with a cornerback, a safety, a linebacker, he will win every time. Brant Keithy, the tight end from Utah, he, he'll he be fun to watch. Interesting. Oh, you mentioned just as an aside a minute ago that this, you know, for the 2022 draft, oh. you're talking a bunch of first round picks. Just real quick, a quick primer. Who were some of those names? So Keenan Slovis, the quarterback from USC, will probably go in the first round. Just he'll have the numbers to do so. I don't I don't know how good he'll be as a pro. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from Arizona State, who they played three games this year. It's hard to judge him, but he is he's legit. And then Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end of Oregon, and Drake Jackson, the defensive end from USC. Um, well, I mean, those four right now, at least stand out as guys that should probably, um, easily go in the first round. And then I think, you know, I think you have Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, who is the best of their trio. I think he's the most mm-hmm. physical. He's really physical. He's, he is big and he can move and he trucks guys. He's a lot of fun to watch. He could be a first round pick too, out of USC. Um, so we, we have a lot of guys, uh, in the conference, I think next year that are going to go in the first round. Interesting. Well, Jeff, uh, we will be talking about those guys with you for sure in the future. Thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Take care, bud. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, let's talk some bowl games here with Pick 6 as we welcome in my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, you picked up one game on me this past week. Um, you had Oklahoma. I took Iowa State in the Big 12 title. I was hoping the, the Cyclones would be able to uh, pick that one up late in the game. But nonetheless, you were able to pick up one game. You're not going to believe this, though, man. I was looking back at, at last week's, and remember we did those um, – those either ors on the the quarterbacks in the Big Ten title and the SEC title, uh, Justin Fields completions versus Ohio State's margin, Kyle Trask's completions versus Bama's margin. I thought they were good numbers, right? I thought, oh, you know, this this would be pretty close. They were both on the nose. Justin Fields completion is 12. That's how much Ohio State won by. Kyle Trask completion is 26. That's how much uh, Alabama won by. So uh, kind of fun to see that we were, we were very close there uh, on that margin. Wait, hold on a second. Alabama didn't win by 26, did they? Yeah, yeah. Final score. Hold on. It was uh they won by 26. Give me one, give me one second. Let me put, look, look up the final score. Yeah, they won by uh they won 52 to 46. Oh, they won by six points. See, like this is the thing. It's December, <laughs> it's week 16 of the NFL. My brain is washed. They won by six <laughs> points. Why at, at 10:30 at night when I'm putting the rundown last night, did I did I compute that as 26? But you know what? That means, give me one second. That means we got to we got we might have a uh, give me one sec we actually might have a tie here. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking they didn't win by 26 <laughs> points. What is he talking hold about? Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, so that means you got the win. So you actually picked up two games on me last week, Ross. I mean, nice. All right, so you did that. All right, that makes that makes this week very very important because I believe now I have just a three game lead. So with that in mind. We get into this week's bowl games, and we're going to pick a few games. Basically, I use the span of Christmas, so Friday 
up through next Tuesday because we usually do our segments, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday during the week. So first one, we're going to do Christmas Day, 2.30 p.m., Buffalo, Marshall. Who do you like here in the Camellia Bowl? Straight pick them. Love this game, by the way. I, I like Buffalo. Um, I was not impressed by Marshall in the Conference USA Championship game. Buffalo did have a disappointing loss to Ball State. I still think they were the better team. Now, Marshall's got some legit speed, but I think Buffalo's going to be able to run it right down their throat. I'm not sure what happened against Ball State. That was sort of stunning, but I think Buffalo's going to be able to run it down Marshall's throat. I like the Bulls. So I'm going to go with Marshall here. I'm going to go with the, the thundering herd. I'm going to see. To, to me, I look at the freshman quarterback, Grant Wells. He's been throwing it all over the yard all season long. And I think ultimately when you look uh, at that offense, I think Buffalo will have a little bit of trouble uh, keeping pace. Patterson obviously has been outstanding. I know he's a little bit banged up uh, at this point, as most players are, but I know he's a little bit banged up. So I'm going to take the, uh, the thundering herd here. We'll see with, uh, if Marshall can come up with the win. So uh, let's go to our second one here. And we're going to go to the Lending Tree Bowl. That is going to be Saturday, 3.30. We've got Western Kentucky, Georgia State. Who do you like here in this matchup? Straight pick them. Yeah, I'm going to go Western Kentucky. Um, I, I think they've done a nice job there with the new coaching staff. And my buddy, Mike Goff, is the offensive line coach at Western Kentucky. And I really don't know a great deal about these two teams, to be honest with you. This is like the first time all year. And I could have done a lot of research, Fran. I could have been like, <laughs> well, I'm going to pick this team because, no, you know what? I'm, I don't need to do that. I can pick them whenever I reason. Why want? Mike Goff, the old line coach of Western Kentucky. I'm picking Western Kentucky. Yeah, it's the, the, the emotional pick. And, and I'll bring it from the, the sensical angle. I'm also going to take Western Kentucky. Uh, Georgia State has had a long break. They haven't played in a month. Uh, D'Angelo Malone, the standout pass rusher from the Hilltoppers. I like him going up against this passing game for Georgia State. They've got a redshirt freshman quarterback back there who has been a, who's been a good player for them. But I still like uh, that pass rush for Western Kentucky getting home against Georgia State. I will take the Hilltoppers here as well. So we're on the same side there uh, on that one. Let's go to our next pick here. Third one. This is going to be next Tuesday, 5.30 p.m. Oklahoma State versus Miami in the Cheez-It Bowl. What do you like here? First of all, I like Cheez-Its a lot. I always have. Delicious. Uh, secondly, do you, like the, do you like the regular size? Do you like those big ones? My wife likes the big ones, the, the, those big Cheez-Its. No, no. The little no, ones, the regular right. ones. My dad got them since I was like five years old, man. I used to love Cheez-Its. Uh, I don't really get them anymore. I, I'm going to Oklahoma State. I feel like there's a bunch of guys from Miami that – I've already opted out. Jalen Phillips now. I, I just think that their head is in another place. I have more confidence that Oklahoma State cares about this bowl than I do Miami. Let's put it that way. Dude, Miami has won one bowl game since 2005. Like, they never have – they just have not been able to have any kind of success in the postseason. They're coming off that terrible loss against North Carolina where they just got drudged uh, by that Tar Heel offense. Oklahoma State, they're going to have a lot of their best players playing. You know, Tylen Wallace and his finale. Uh, I will also go with the Cowboys here. I'm going to take Oklahoma State. Um, let's go to some over-unders here. Over-under, five-and-a-half catches for the senior wide receiver from UAB, Austin Watkins, in the Gasparilla Bowl against South Carolina – uh, who do you like here? And this, or what do you like here? Five and a half catches over under for Austin Watkins, who, by the way, if you don't know anything about this kid, Ross, he's got NFL potential. He's going to the senior bowl. He's a big kid. He can get in and out of breaks really well, really fluid athlete for a guy that size. Sammy Watkins, uh, little cousin also, by the way, uh, who do you like? What do you like here? Five and a half catches over under for Watkins. 
I didn't know that last part of it. Um, I watched him make some plays against uh, Marshall the other night. I like Watkins. South Carolina is horrible this year. Uh, they got a new coaching staff and a coaching change. I don't think they really care that much about this bowl game. Watkins does. It's his chance to go up against an SEC secondary and improve his draft stock. I'll go over five and a half catches for Watkins. Love it. I went with the over as well. I think uh, against the secondary that we already know they've lost two of their best players in J.C. Horn and Israel Mukuamu. Uh, they lost them a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I will take Watkins over five and a half catches in this one. Let's go now to another over-under. Liberty, Coastal Carolina, the Cure Bowl, two of the best group of five teams from this year in college football. Malik Willis, the Auburn transfer for Liberty, has been just dynamite for a large majority of the season. They've been outstanding from a pass game standpoint. Over under two and a half touchdowns for Malik Willis throwing the football against the Chanticleers. What do you like here in this one? I will go under for Malik Willis because Coastal Carolina's defense is legit and because I think Willis is still more likely to run for a touchdown than he is throw it, use his legs. I'll go under two and a half touchdown passes for Malik Willis. Uh, I will take the over here uh, and say, look, you know, I feel like the Chanticleers can get up on them a little bit. Let's see if uh, if Liberty, you know, Hugh Freeze, can that can that offense uh, have a little bit of juice going into the postseason? I'll take the over here, Malik Willis, uh, who at any point could go off for four or five touchdowns. Uh, I will take the over and make sure that we go separate here on a couple different uh, picks here in this segment. Last one. No upset specials because we only had a handful of games to pick from. So I wanted to go another over-under. Staying in that same game, in the Cure Bowl, another player that you need to know is Coastal Carolina defensive lineman Teron Jackson against Liberty in that pass-happy scheme. I know you've said many times before, it's hard to get a sack in college football. So basically, is Teron Jackson going to get a sack against Liberty? 0.5 sacks over-under for the senior defensive lineman. You know, uh... I'll go over for the reason you mentioned earlier. You think Coastal Carolina has the lead. Willis has to come back. He's throwing it. If that's the case, then Jackson gets one. I like it. Uh, I will uh, go with the under for, you know, just to, to go opposite of you. I'm going to look at Taron Jackson and say, look, uh, this is a guy that obviously has the ability to get after the quarterback a little bit. But Malik Willis, he's a, a, a guy that gets rid of the ball fast. He's an athletic kid and get away from pressure. Uh, I'll take the under here on Tyron Jackson getting a sack. So that being said, we are opposite here on three out of the six picks. You are just three games behind. This could be uh, this could be big here, Ross. It could tie it as we go into the, the heart of bowl season next week. Thanks for joining us once again here on Pick 6. Merry Christmas to you and your family. We'll talk to you next week, man. Sounds great, Fran. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Again, the, the last request, if you could just jump on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Really, really goes a long way towards helping us out here as the really the, the college football season begins to come to a close and we enter officially NFL draft season. Hope you guys have a great holiday, a great new year. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.